Hi, this is Thunder Levin, and you're listening to the FSF Podcast. The show where we argue whether it's data or data, but hey, we got the name of his brother Lore correct on the first try. Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation, but helps out sick kids when they need it most. And just imagine the comfort you'll give redshirt crewman number 133. He'll know that when he puts on the red shirt and joins Finn and his chainsaw into the depths of the great white shark, that he didn't leave his family destitute and without hope, because the redshirt widows and orphans fund has his back and what's left of his ex-wife's hand. All right, guys, our guest today is an American screenwriter. He's a director, most famous, and you probably know him for his first four uh, Sharknado films that he was the writer for. But he's also responsible for movies like Mute Vampire Zombies from the Hood megalodon atlantic rim apocalypse earth and so many others we are thrilled to welcome thunder levin to the fsf podcast welcome to the show thunder hello everybody ew this is hello, gonna be a conversation i just know it yeah it will be we're gonna have fun all right so thunder uh according to your imdb bio um and we always preface this when we mention anything from imdb um it can be inaccurate from time to time. Uh, but in the bio, it said that you credited Star Trek and Star Wars with increasing your interest in science fiction and filmmaking. So yes. What I'm curious is, could you tell us how each of those distinct universes had an impact on your future work in the entertainment industry? Yes. Um, Star Trek was my favorite show when I was a very little kid. The original, the original Kirk and Spock um, and god i don't know how old i was maybe five or six it was the one show my mom let me stay up late to watch um and this wasn't even this wasn't even i don't think when it was on network tv i think it was already in syndication when i started to watch it um and i wanted to grow up to be captain kirk or mr spock probably mr spock um and work on the enterprise that was that was what i wanted to do when i grew up but i understood sadly that you know it wasn't real um because in fact around the same time i was watching the uh the apollo moon missions uh apollo 11 is just about the first memory i have um and that was so primitive uh i didn't want anything to do with that you know if 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 that was space travel i wasn't interested and uh (laughs) and the idea of having to join the military to do it also didn't appeal to me um at least not when i was six uh fair enough and and so um i was a big fan and we had um a, a distant relation a cousin who we still can't quite figure out how we're all related but um, he was a cameraman in in uh, in movies and TV, um, and he got he. This is my, you know, he's my parents' generation. But he got me um, a book called "The Making of Star Trek," uh, which uh, by Gene Roddenberry and Stephen Whitfield. Cool. Um, and you know, it was a very dry, grown-up book. It was it was not suitable for a six-year-old. But so naturally, I turned to the uh, the photo section. And one of the one of the photos uh, in that book is a bunch of these 1960s studio technicians working on the bridge of the Enterprise. And it suddenly occurred to me in in my little six year old head that there was a way I could work on the Enterprise. 
Um, and so that that was where the seed was planted. Um, and then, you know, the, the, you grow up and there are a lot of different things going on. And of course, I wanted to be a baseball player. Um, and I think for a while I wanted to be the guy who drove the back of the hook and ladder fire engine. Oh. Um, um, but eventually, uh, eventually in my teen years, um, there was a movie coming out called Star Wars and mm-hmm. it looked really dumb and I wanted nothing to do with it because I was a serious science fiction fan. I must have been kind of a pain in the ass kid. Certainly I was. <laughs> Most kids are. Yeah, but I mean, oh, yeah. I, I didn't I didn't read comic books, I have to admit. Now that's, you know, that's a terrible thing to admit. But at the time, comic books were were lower class stuff. I read serious science fiction, Heinlein and Asimov and sure. Arthur C. Clarke, all these guys. Um, and so when I heard about this movie coming out called Star Wars, I thought it looked dumb. I saw the first commercials. I thought it looked like a Western in outer space. And I just wasn't interested. Um then one day I was in a science fiction bookstore in New York and I happened upon a program from this movie, Star Wars. And I started leafing through it and it actually looked kind of interesting. Um, and this had to have been late May or early June of 1977. Um, and I would have been in junior high, I guess, probably seventh grade. Um, and, uh, I decided I wanted to go see it. And so me and a bunch of friends from school, on the last day of school, we walked down to the nearest movie theater and we went to see the original Star Wars. And it was the first movie I'd ever gone to uh, on my own, you know, without an adult, without my parents or some other responsible person. Um, And I remember being very skeptical as the lights went down and then it just blew my mind. Um, and I, I think my life changed that day. Uh, you know, up until then, movies in the 70s had been pretty dark and gritty and serious. It seemed like even the comedies, um, I mean, there were, there were dumb comedies, you know, like, I don't know, Cannonball Run. But sure. it seemed like almost everything had to have a social message. Um, and everything had to be serious and cinematic. And Star Wars was the first movie, at least that I'd ever seen, that was just fun, that you could just have a blast watching. Yeah. Um, and realizing that movies could be like that kind of kind of changed my thinking. And um, and you know, when when Star Wars came out, George Lucas was almost as much of a star of the promotional materials as uh, Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher. Um, And that was the first time I really became aware that there were people who made movies, um, storytellers behind them, kind of. I'd never really thought about it before, despite despite that moment when I was a little kid, seeing people working on the bridge. It never really clicked in my head. Um, And also at that point, TV was very different from movies. TV was the small screen and they and Star Trek being the exception, they told small stories and it was it was sort of comfort right. food at home. The movies were big and grand and extraordinary. Um, and it just it just blew my mind. You know, that first 
that first Star Wars came on the screen and then the giant uh, Star Destroyer, which just kept on going. You know, now we're so jaded. But when that when that ship came across the screen for the first time, it was just the most incredible thing. Nobody had ever seen anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it uh, right right then and there, I think, is where I decided I was going to make movies. That's awesome. That's I love an awesome that. story. I love that. I feel like everybody has anybody who's watched Star Wars has that moment of feeling like, oh, this is going to be so dumb. This is going to be awful. And then like the first note of the theme song hits you and you're like, never mind. Yeah. Right. I love this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm hooked. <laughs> I, I, I often wonder if people who see it on a TV screen, even, you know, we have big TVs now, but I wonder if people who see it that way for the first time have the same feeling that we did when we saw it in the theaters. I don't know. I wonder. That's, I don't know. That is, a, but that I is an interesting thought, though. I, I, mean, can actually, I, thought... I can actually comment on that. Okay. So my very first experience of watching it was uh, with Return of the Jedi because I was born in 76. Okay. Uh, and uh, there was a lot of family people around the time of in 81 when, um, <clears throat> excuse me, when Empire came out. So I, I never saw it, Empire at the theater. So I started off with Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. I went back and saw the others on VHS later. After you'd seen Jedi. After I had seen Jedi. That must have been confusing. I was eight, so you okay. know, <laughs> it was just it's just a it was at, at that point it was just a story, right? Right. And, but, right. So for me, it was still as cool and as captivating to hear the 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 theme music, you know, crank off and then and then watch the crawl and and, mm-hmm. and like you talked about, you see that ship come in and all these different things. I still had all the emotions that I had of being so excited to see this laser sword movie with, you know, <laughs> what turned out to be knee high murder bears and, you know, all these other things. Very adorable. And, yeah. And then I had the same reaction in watching a new hope and empire strikes back because, mm-hmm. Oh, you mean there's other versions of this story They're They're out there. I can watch those too. Right. You know? And so to this day, empire is still my favorite all time favorite movie. So bouncing off the conversation we've already been having off of Tim's first question, people have a tendency to take their fandoms very, very seriously, whether it's Star Trek, Star Wars, Marvel, DC, even the My Little Pony fans take their their fandom very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of room for science fiction, action, comedy, horror, disaster films, because those franchises, those bigger franchises take up so much room. So do you think that there's a real benefit to letting go of the serious side of films and just letting yourself be entertained by the things that most people find absurd. And I'm saying this as a fan of Rocky Horror and Mel Brooks and Monty Python. And right. Sharknado. <laughs> what was that last one? I didn't, I didn't catch that. I've, I've heard of that. Um, <laughs> sure, there, sure there, there's, there's a great benefit to that. I mean, sometimes you need to just disconnect your brain. I mean, a, lo- a lot of people, you know, uh, have talked to me about that and about how how much they enjoy that aspect of it about mm-hmm. not having to think about it. But at the same time, I was contacted uh, once by a, a woman who, you know, on Twitter, I guess it was. And she told me how much she loved uh, Sharknado. And she told me that it was the first thing she saw after she had a miscarriage that oh. made her laugh. Oh, wow. And I was like, Okay. I mean, you know, you you hear stories like that and you realize that even when you're doing something this silly, 
you're you're still affecting people's lives sometimes mm-hmm. and it it's just such a such a wonderful feeling um that even even though so many people will dismiss it um i know that it's done good for for some and and that that's that's plenty for me i mean i'd love to you know have created star wars but you know <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll take my little piece and i'll be happy with it <laughs> Yeah, I have to say that when when Sharknado first came out, I remember some of my friends talking about this this Sharknado movie, and I'm like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. I'm like that sounds so dumb, and they went and saw it, and they're like, no, you have to see this. And I'm like, is it as dumb as it sounds? And they're like, well, yes, but that's kind of the point. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay, well, I mean, if that's the point, I'm like, I guess. And it is, it definitely has its place in entertainment. It definitely, it is one of those moments where you can shut your brain off. <laughs> yeah. It, it's yeah. it's a wonderful level of camp. It is. Um, yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm, I will never apologize for Sharknado for the, oh, no, for the no, silliness no. of it. No. I'm, I'm very proud of it. No, you should, and you should be. We have a couple of friends that we were talking to, some other podcasting friends, and we were, and we always talk about you know who we have coming up on interviews and what we're doing and all these different things. And and uh, we told one of them, his, uh, his name is Jason Taylor, he's from the Three Geeks podcast, and he absolutely like he loves the entirety of the Sharknado universe, and he's just like, oh my god, that's so cool. You're talking to Thunder Eleven. I Wait, didn't we even have tell a, him you're... we we have a universe. Yes. You have a universe. Wow. You, you, I, did, well, I didn't know. Well, yeah, I think once you get past the trilogy of films, you automatically get a universe. Um, okay. So, yeah, it's the... the, you, the and and to think my agent was telling me to give it up after the third one. So I'm, <laughs> I'm glad to know that's the cutoff. Okay. Yeah, I... No, you know what? I, I think there's a whole there's a whole group of people out there who absolutely love what you're doing. And, and you know, Jason, obviously, is one of them. The simple fact that... I said that we we're interviewing the writer of Sharknado and he's like, Oh my God, you're interviewing Thunder Levin. He knew it, like, like that. So well, yeah, Jason nice. was very excited to, to chat, uh, to, to hear that we were going to be chatting with you. And, and so I, I don't think that he's alone in that because I've talked with mm-hmm. a few other people who were just as excited and are excited to, for this, to be able to come out, to hear what your thoughts on things and stuff. So there's my, a place for everyone. In my in husband's coworker is a huge Sharknado fan too. And she's like, yeah. Let me know when this interview comes out because I want I want to hear it. We might actually get a new subscriber out of that. Woohoo! Yeah. Right. <laughs> so welcome, <laughs> welcome new sus- subscribers. <laughs> exactly. So one of the things I loved actually about Sharknado, uh, and I started watching uh, Sharknado Two again, um, which I love the fact that it's called Sharknado Two, the second one. I just that killed me. I love the subtle humor and the not so subtle humor. Some <laughs> of the things that you did. I absolutely love the silliness, the camp and everything else. I, I love that you guys steered into it. And I think that's fantastic. Um, well, that, that, that was sort of a, a big part of the d- discussion, I guess, after the first one was which way to go with it. Do we, do we steer into this, you know, figuring out what the audience was responding to and making sure that that's what we did. Sure. Um, was an important step, I think. So, but one of the things I loved, uh, you know, other than that was also the fact that you pay homage to a lot of different movies uh, in that, you know, you paid homage to Jaws in the first one, the whole, you know, propane right. tank in the mouth and explosion. Right. There's uh, the, the, in, in Sharknado 2, there's something on the wing. And I got, I love that, the, you know, the Twilight Zone. 
there's James Bond, there's Cloverfield references, there's Avengers, even Avengers references. There's a whole lot of good stuff that you guys pay homage to. So with a, with a film like Sharknado, and we're going to talk about some of your other ones coming up here real quick, but with the films like Sharknado and some of your other ones, what role do homages play in, in your writing style? Um, so the, I guess there are two levels to that. In Just in my regular writing, whatever I'm doing, if it takes place in present day reality, I feel like we should acknowledge the world that it takes place in and in present day reality star wars exists jaws mm -hmm. exists uh airplane exists so if you're doing something that reminds you of something in a movie that is well known it it almost would feel artificial to not mention it sure um so even in my in my more serious work the the pop culture as long as it's not too recent uh will will play into it. The, the The trick, of course, when you're reference pop culture is something that might be big today could disappear tomorrow. Um, and, and five years from now, or even a year from now, when the film comes out, people will, will just groan or, or even worse, not know what you're talking about. Um, so I, you know, I try and stick to sort of more classic pop culture stuff that you're, you can be confident. Everybody knows. Sure. The tried as far, and true. Yeah. As far as Sharknado goes, uh, that was that was rather contentious in the first one is that i i had more homages and pop culture references in the script and the producers made me take them out because they thought it was kitschy um they left the jaws things alone because you know we're making a shark movie Parts. and you can't, right. you can't make a shark movie without acknowledging jaws um but the other stuff uh was cut and then in the second one, I got a little bit, uh, well, we got a lot in there because that opening scene on the plane where we did the thing, that's baked into it, right? That's Twilight Zone. Mm -hmm. And once you're on a plane, well, you got to start talking about airplane. Um, so so, so that that sort of gave gave me the in to be able to do that a little bit more. And then when they saw how the, the audience reacted to it in the second one there there was no more pushback uh in the third movie and when it came time to write the fourth movie uh both the producers and the network was like telling me more pop culture references more movie references and they were actually giving me ones that they wanted to put in oh that's cool um some some of them were a bit too current and i was like you know where this is where we could get into trouble um so that 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 becomes a balancing act um, that we all we all sort of talked about and and worked out about where the line was and how much how much of this can we put in. I did appreciate the fact that you guys were working in some of the, the airplane movie angles into into that in Sharknado, too. Honestly, when Finn started getting worked up in his seat, you know, and, and getting, I kept waiting to see like a whole line of people. Uh, just go you know, smack them and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> calm down. But you know, yeah, yeah, and you know, you can only you can only go so far, right? Right. Even no, in Sharknado, well, not, really. <laughs> not really. But so, uh, but you know, you only you only want to take so much from from any given thing. Right. Understood. And and then when we got Robert Hayes to play the pilot, you know, yeah, because I sat there honestly, and I was going, 
That's Robert Hayes. <laughs> is that Robert Hayes? That is Robert Hayes. Ed, yeah. And no, he's flying I, I, a plane. Oh my it god. It was a beautiful, it was a beautiful touch. It really was. He, he wasn't the first choice, I have to admit. But it when we got him, when Anthony told me that uh that we'd gotten Robert Hayes, I was like, oh my god, that's perfect. <laughs> that's, yeah. <laughs> So you have already said that you will not apologize for Sharknado, and there's no reason that you should. But addressing the Megalodon in the room, that that it is. So there is a meme that frequently circulates the internet with the, the next time you're afraid to share your ideas, remember someone once said in a meeting, let's make a, a movie about a tornado filled with sharks. Right. So, I mean, it's it's a ridiculous concept. It is a ridiculous concept for a movie. Why do but you say I wondered, that? it's it's a little obvious but it's it's great i mean it's it's it makes perfect sense to me (laughs) so how did sharknado come about and how did you present this as as a project as a serious project that should should actually be made into a movie and did you think that it would ever spawn into a series okay so the great thing about that meme is i was not in that meeting it's even better (laughs) um that that does make so, the meat that much better. Yeah. So the way the way it came to me is I had I had just done um, a movie for the asylum. That's a production company mm-hmm. that made Sharknado. Okay. Um, I had just done a movie for them called American Warships, and everybody at the company was very happy with it. I was pretty happy with it, um, and so we were talking about as as I was finishing post production on American Warships, we were talking about what I was going to do for them next. And there were a lot of different things we were talking about. There was a giant monster movie. Um, there was a, there was a science fiction thing. And then they said, what we'd really like you to do first is um, a movie called Shark Storm. And there was no story. There was no pitch. It was just, it's called Shark Storm. Do with, do with that what you will. And I was like, you know, I, I feel like sharks have been played out. Um, and Deep Blue Sea already did sharks and a storm. Um, yeah. And and it's it's going to be played seriously because the Asylum always tries to play their movies serious. Mm-hmm. Straight, let's say, not self-aware. Um, okay. and, and so it just it just didn't appeal to me. And I said, thanks, but no thanks. Let's talk about some of these other projects. And then like a month later, they came back to me uh, and they said, and, and by now I'd already uh, picked a couple of projects that I was going to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, and they came back to me and they said, okay, forget Shark Storm. Now it's called Sharknado. And I said, what do sharks have to do with the North Atlantic Treaty Organization? Because <laughs> I heard Sharknado. And he said, no, 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 Sharknado, a tornado of sharks. I'm like, okay, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. And if I can play it that way, then I'm in. Right. Because because the asylum, in general, they don't like to do a self-aware, intentional camp. And it seemed to me that a movie called Sharknado had to, had to be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, yes, we all agree. Uh, sci-fi wants to do this. We acknowledge it has to be ridiculous. Here are some notes. They had they had like three quarters of a page, a page of notes about about what it could be about. And uh, 
go do your thing. Um, and originally it was set in Australia and the hero's name was Baz. Um, and Nova really didn't exist at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I moved it to LA. I made the hero's name Finn, Finn Shepard, because Shepard is a person who takes care of people and he's going to be our hero and take care of people. Mm-hmm. I thought I was being, you know, very, uh, very obvious with that, but no one ever mentions it to me. Um, Finn because of shark fins. And Finn because of sharks, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. Um, you know, and I invented Nova uh, and, and she's named after the uh, character in um, Planet of the Apes. Um, oh. Nova. Oh. Um, and, uh, and basically set about having as much fun with it as I could. Um, and, and basically the way I approached it was, this is a ridiculous concept, but I don't want to be smirking at the camera, right? Um, right. it's important that the characters not know they're in a movie, but it should be clear to the audience that the filmmakers know they're in a movie. Um, the, the, the Very audience much. needs to be in on the joke. And they need to know that the people who made the movie are in on the joke. The only people who can't be in on it are the characters themselves. Fair. Um, and and so it was a it was a matter of going into it and saying, okay, if this incredible, ridiculous thing happened to me, what would I do? And and that's that's basically just sort of how I proceeded. Um, I'm a, I'm a bit of a uh, a, a prepper. Uh, I don't like to use the word survivalist. Um, and I, I don't have some compound hidden away in the woods somewhere. Uh, and I don't have a, a huge cache of weapons and supplies to last me 20 years. But I do try and, you know, think about what I would do in various situations and be as prepared as I can within within reason. So I, I gave those attributes to Finn. Basically, Finn was an idealized version of myself is, is, is the way I approached it. What would I do if I were an action adventure hero and I was put in this situation? Um, and I was going through, I mean, still am, but I was going through a difficult uh, separation with my wife. And so for Finn to be going across town to, uh, to rescue his, his uh, ex-wife was, was something that really resonated with me. Um, uh, Nova was basically the the, the kick ass chick that we all want in a movie like this, but at mm-hmm. the same time she was Quint from Jaws. Um, mm-hmm. So if you're gonna put in, in if you're gonna steal Quint from Jaws, put him in your movie. Why not have her be the the kick ass hot girl? Right. Um, <laughs> um, you know, and then and then um, in in my original conception, April his his wife was a bit more sympathetic because I was sort of. Um, sort of playing out my relationship uh in the film um and and then when anthony and and tara started creating her she got a little a little whinier i think um a little bitchier um than i had originally intended but it all worked i mean anthony certainly knew what he was doing and the reason he knew what he was doing is that it was all his idea it turns out what i didn't know at the time was that Anthony uh, Ferrante had written this movie called Leprechaun's Revenge. Although when he wrote it, it was called Red Clover. When it got to sci-fi, I think it was called Leprechaun's Revenge. And in this movie, there's, there's a scene where two characters are hiding from the leprechauns who are rampaging. 
and they're and they're just it's like a quentin tarantino kind of scene they're just they're just bullshitting while they hide Mm-hmm. And they're t- and one of the characters says to the other, "God, the oh, these leprechauns are destroying our town. Our ho- I hope our town doesn't go the way of Santa Mira, this other town. They never recovered after the Sharknado hit." And someone at, at Sci-Fi uh, saw that and said, "That's the movie we should make. We should make a movie called Sharknado." Um, so sci-fi had this title with nothing to go with it. And the asylum wanted to make this shark store movie that they'd put together, you know, these notes for, um, and, and sci-fi had at that point, sci-fi was churning out a lot of these, a lot of these, uh, B movies every week, Mm -hmm. basically. Uh, and, and the asylum had their monthly or quarterly meeting, with uh sci-fi and they said hey we want to make this movie called shark storm and you know uh the guy the people at sci-fi said that's great but call it sharknado and and so that's where it all came from and then it came back to me um and i had to make sense of that uh there will be those who say that i did not make sense of it but i would dispute them i think it's a it's a perfect step by step. It's all perfectly logical. Um, I've I've talked to a lot of uh, a lot of weather people, meteorologists. Uh, I've talked to a lot of shark biologists, and there's nothing they can point to in the first Sharknado that isn't at least theoretically possible. It's not very likely, <laughs> but it's yeah, but at I'll... least physically possible. <laughs> All right. Well, at least there's, it's set in theory, so that's good. Yes, yes. And I think, given the the absurdity of the movie, which I mean, uh, again, I, I say this having watched the movie and loving the movie. No, you're you're not insulting me by saying Sharknado is absurd. <laughs> I I think you definitely you definitely did it justice with with what it is. And having said that, that the only ones who who aren't in on the joke are the characters themselves sort of thing like that makes a lot of sense and i feel like watching it again with the that's the writer's intent mm-hmm. will actually help a lot of people who who might have dismissed it initially with the this is the stupidest thing i've ever heard of aka me like it, it'll it'll have a new meaning to it it'll be more of the yeah. no we everybody like else knows this is a joke except for them <laughs> yeah. yeah well I, it's I, all about perspective i i hope you get to experience it again on a whole new level it is currently in my amazon watch list again there you go <laughs> all right so thunder a lot of people we've been talking about sharknado a lot and a lot of people know you from your work in sharknado and mm-hmm. be, you know being being that but you have an extensive imdb list that's outside of the sharknado verse that's, that's, yeah. that's what i'm going to call it the sharknado verse wow. and i and i'm going to go back to the fact that you said sharknado as in nato nato mm-hmm. and, and you now know all i can, I, all I was I can actually think starting about, yeah, yeah yeah now that i was trying because, <laughs> i was trying to figure out how to write that as a movie now too with, no, well, that, think, that's funny because i i was when the, when he first said that to me instantly the thought flashed through my head of the army battling sharks in europe you know, and I saw <laughs> sharks coming out of the Danube and tanks blasting them and stuff. I mean, so I mean, there is a way. We've and had I... <laughs> we've had a movie about Nazis on the moon. Why couldn't we have? That's right. 
starts with right. freaking laser beams. Anyway, there uh, is a, there is. A, <laughs> well, we got we got there eventually. I mean, we were talking about we were talking about that from the time we knew there was going to be a sequel to the first movie. Is can we have sharks with freaking laser beams on their head? And and it it took oh, it took it. three more movies to actually get it in. There. But we got, got there. there. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, like I said, you've got an extensive list of movies uh, mm-hmm. that you've worked on, some of which we listed in the introduction, some of which we didn't. There's like I said, if you guys want to know what those are, you can check out his IMDb page and there's a, a whole bulletized list there. You can see what he did. But out of the works listed on your IMDb page or maybe one that's not listed yet, is there a project that you think or you would like for people to pay a little bit more attention to? Because maybe this is a, a, a representation of, of who and what Thunder Levin is. Well, I mean, I'm working on several things right now that are as far from Sharknado as you can get. Um, uh, I'm working on a very serious, dark science fiction thriller called Star Child. Um and that's the thing I really want to uh, make my next directing job. It's, uh, okay. um, you know, it's a hard time to get original movies made, much less uh, original science fiction movies made. Uh, everything has to be a, a sequel or a prequel or a reboot or mm-hmm. an adaptation. Um, so so I have not had the success with that that I would like, but that that's the thing that, uh, that I really want to do next. Uh, at the same time, I'm developing three different tv series two of which are based on books because it does seem like the only way to get anything made is for it to be a a pre-existing ip Mm -hmm. so uh so one of them is um is based on david l goleman's uh book series the event group um which is uh about an ultra secret uh branch of the government that um that has existed basically since the civil war and investigates when strange anomalous events occur and basically exists to make sure that humanity isn't doomed by repeating its past. Um, you know, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a, a book series uh, by Rebecca Cantrell called um, uh, the Joe Tesla series. It's about this guy who's a, a descendant of Nikola Tesla, um, who is suddenly struck with agoraphobia and ends up having to live uh, in a house beneath Grand Central Terminal in New York, um, and about his efforts to figure out what happened to him. And at the same time, he gets each season he gets involved in different adventures, and he lives almost entirely uh, underground. Um, and then I have an, an original series which was inspired by something that is very Sharknado-esque, but I actually took it in a different direction. Um, a few years back, a, uh, a police department in Tennessee put out a, uh, a public service announcement or a press release or something asking people to please stop flushing their methamphetamine down the toilet because it could get into the river system and cause meth gators. And nobody wants that. Not the meth gators! And uh, and so and so suddenly overnight, everybody on Twitter was telling me that meth gators had to be my next project. Oh, yeah. And it just seems so obvious for the for the Sharknado guy. I didn't want to do that, you know. Um, and 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 so I, I I sat on it for a while and I thought and after a while I thought, is there something else I can do with this idea? And so I actually came up with this 
quirky small town mystery um, about a, a New York cop who's who's just retired. He's completely burned out, and he goes back to his small backwater hometown that's called Hurricane Alabama, where he grew up and where he has these idealized memories of life on the bayou. Um, and he goes back thinking it's going to be sort of a semi-retirement, and it's about how he's changed by living in New York for 20 years, coming back to his small southern Alabama rural town and and thinking he, he's going to instantly fit in, you know, having dreamed of going home for all these years. And then he finds that home has changed. And of course, he has changed. And it's all about this idea of can we go home again? And mm -hmm. one of the things he discovers is that uh, meth has become a real problem in the area. Um, and he doesn't want to acknowledge that because, you know, he was dealing with drugs in New York. Mm -hmm. And what's worse is there's a new drug on the street. And at the same time, pets are disappearing and some meth addicts have disappeared. And and then finally, and finally, the uh, the daughter of local one percenters, who's the prom queen and cheerleader, she disappears and he finds her empty car in his in his uh, precinct. And so he's now forced to investigate. And it turns out that this new drug has leaked into the ecosystem and has sort of supercharged the alligators in the swamp. Um, and that and that is sort of something that plays in the background to this character drama um, that's, you know, it's sort of Ozark meets True Detective with just a splash of Lake Placid in there. Um and I and and that's something else I'm I'm about to take out and and try and sell and we'll see if see if we get anywhere with it. Um, Sounds cool. I think so. Yeah. And 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 it's it's different enough for me, but at the same time, there's still that element that people will say, okay, maybe the Sharknado guy can do this. Right. Um, and and mm -hmm. so it'll be a way for me to segue into more serious things. At the same time, I'm also pitching a movie called Deadbeard. Uh, the zombie pirate musical, um, which which would seem like a logical follow up to Sharknado. I <laughs> would watch that. That sounds fantastic. Everybody I talk to says they would love to see that. The only people who don't want to see it are the people who pay for movies. Mm. And I haven't quite figured out how to bridge that yet. The only people who don't want to see this movie are, are people that uh, that actually make movies. So I'm working on that. <laughs> as far as far as the movies I've made, uh, th there are two that I'm pretty proud of um, that are not Sharknado-esque. There's American Warships and AE Apocalypse Earth. Mm. Um, when I made AE, uh, it was just called AE. Uh, the Asylum uh, decided to add Apocalypse Earth to the title to, to jazz it up. I like the idea of it being kind of an unknown mystery. What does AE stand for? People sure. will go, go to see it to figure out what it's about. Right. Um, and when and when people asked me what AE stood for, I said almost everything. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a little science fiction movie about these, these uh, people on a, uh, Earth has been destroyed and it's these people who escape from Earth and are going to a planet, but their ship uh, is damaged and they crash on this, this hostile world. And it's about how this small group of people who don't know each other have to come together to survive. 
Um, and it stars Adrian Paul from the Highlander TV series mm-hmm. uh, and Richard Grieco from the original 21 Jump sure, Street. Sure. Um, and, uh, and a Costa Rican uh, supermodel named Bally Rodriguez, um, who plays a, a humanoid character who has naturally camouflaged skin. Uh, and she actually had to spend like eight hours in makeup the first day of each week. And then she lived in this varying shades of green uh, body paint for a week while we shot. Oof. And then she got she got to wash it off uh, for each of our weekends. Um, and then American Warships is um, is the movie that Battleship should have been and wasn't, if you ask me. Um, okay. The The asylum wanted to do a movie that would ride battleships coattails. Um, and they asked me to make a movie that could be called battleships. Um, and then eventually we, we expanded the title to American warships. Um, but it's basically an old fashioned naval war movie, um, about, uh, the last American battleship, uh, which is on its way to be turned into a museum, which ends up being the only ship, that can save the world when this mysterious uh, stealth cloaked ship starts trying to start a war between the U.S. and uh, China. Um, and, and it has this uh, EMP weapon that renders all sort of advanced technology uh, that destroys advanced anything based on microchips. It, it blows them up, basically. And so this World War II battleship, the USS Iowa, um, you know, with its old fashioned analog equipment and big guns um, is is the only ship uh, in a position to save the world. So it's got elements of Battlestar Galactica. It's got elements of uh, a Star Trek episode called Balance of Terror because they're they're hunting this this invisible ship. Um, and then it turns out uh, that it has aliens, too. And the the only thing that about that movie that disappoints me, really, is the special effects of the aliens because uh, I uh, I did not like the the creature design. Um, okay. It looked to me the creature design ended up being very campy. And the thing about asylum movies is you're you're making them very fast for very little money. Um, and even though we got to shoot on a real battleship, which gave us a lot of production value, once the aliens were created. It, it was almost too late for me to say, no, that's not what they should look like um, because they didn't okay. have the time to remake them. Um, so, so, so I, I feel like sometimes that movie uh, people think it's campier than it really is because the, the aliens look so weird. Um, but other than that, uh, I'm really proud of that movie. Everything we shot on the ship, I'm, I'm really proud of. Um, and I think it's a it's sort of a throwback to movies that I would see on daytime TV when I was a kid uh, that had been made like in the 50s. And it was the only stuff, you know, that local, you know, before the Internet, before streaming, local TV channels would show old movies during the day because they were very cheap for them to air. Mm-hmm. And there were all these World War Two naval battle movies that I grew up on, you know, and looking back on it now the effects of those movies were even cheesier than what we did because you know it was models on a tank of water right um, you know little destroyer and battleship models and stuff but i grew up on that um 
and and so getting a chance to make that kind of a movie was was uh was really special for me yeah very cool so talking about being successful and as a successful writer and director and sometimes even actor you can look back on what you've accomplished and what i mean looking back at what you've accomplished what is the best piece of advice that you would give to someone trying to get started in the entertainment industry? That bit of wisdom that you wish that you had starting out. Well, there, there are two bits of, of wisdom that I try to impart when I go to talk to, uh, to film classes. The first is to say, if there's anything else you can do for a living that will nourish your soul, that will make you happy, go do that. Because this business will spit, chew you up and spit you out and it'll break your heart 99 times out of 100. Mm -hmm. um, so unless this is the only thing you can imagine yourself doing that will make you happy, don't do it. <laughs> if you're one of those people who can't imagine doing anything else, my my only other real piece of advice is Never give up um, because you will be told you're no good. You will be rejected over and over and over again. And when, when your job is basically telling your dreams to the world and people are telling you you're no good, mm -hmm. that means they're telling you your dreams are no good. And your dreams are usually... Uh, an intimate distillation of yourself. Yeah. So, so rejection as, as a writer, you know, whether it, whether it's movies or novels or, or whatever rejection as a writer is a particularly personal kind of rejection. Um, you know, if you're a computer programmer and you come up with this great app uh, and, and someone says, no, it's too buggy. Well, Okay. You know, the idea, it was still a good idea. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you know, you're, you're not going to take that personally. It, it's just a matter of, of, your, of your craft, right? Right. But, but, but when something is, is this personal, you know, or an accountant makes a mistake. Well, I mean, you're going you're gonna to take it personally, but only because you, screw, you made a mistake. Right. It's not because your very personhood is being questioned. But for a writer... It, it can feel that way. It can feel like your very legitimacy uh, of who you are is being is being rejected. Um, and and so if you can get through that and never give up, you know, eventually, hopefully, you will uh, you will achieve something. I mean, you know, I was in this business for twenty years before Sharknado, and no right. one had ever heard of me. Um, you know, and, and I spent years trying to get people to take me seriously as a director because of my, you know, my short films, mm -hmm. uh, and the scripts I wrote. And I spent years trying to get scripts sold or produced and I'd get close. I'd get producers optioned a lot of my scripts, but they never got made. They never got sold. Uh, and, uh, uh, a saner person would have given up. Um, but I kept going. Um, and eventually I decided to raise money and make my own film. 
uh, and that was mutant vampire zombies from the hood. Um, and it was because of that that I got my first writing job uh, at the asylum. And it was at least partly because of that, I assume, that when Sharknado came up, the asylum thought I was the guy to do it mm-hmm. uh, because I had made this tongue in cheek disaster film already. So they figured I knew, I guess they figured I, I knew how to do that and walk, walk that line between pure parody and serious disaster movie. Cause I think that's what, that's really what made Sharknado work was, was sort of walking that fine line. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are the two, two pieces of advice. A don't do it. And if you're going to do it, never give up. Be determined. I, sure. I think those are solid, solid pieces of advice. though. <laughs> I, yeah, if, you're, if you're determined to do it, at least, you know, fight for it. Right. Yeah. Don't give up. And I, I like that, that if there's something else that'll make you happy, go do that. Like that. Yeah. And you can always write on, on your own. Mm-hmm. People write for themselves all the time. I, um, sure. I've just joined this uh, sort of, educational slash networking website um where i i'm going to be mentoring and providing feedback for for new writers and one of the writers that i i just read his script a couple of days ago and was talking to him yesterday mm-hmm. giving him feedback on his script and i said how many scripts have you written he was like well 15 15 i thought he was a new writer uh how long have you been doing this about 20 years oh my goodness and i'm like okay uh, and he wasn't even concerned with how do I get this sold? He was writing for himself. He just, how do I be a better writer? He wasn't asking me for, for advice on, on selling his script. He was asking mm-hmm. me for advice on how to make his script better because he wanted to be a better writer. He had another job. He had a whole career. He he had, you know, he made a good living. He did this for himself. So if, if you can do that too, um, you know, there are a lot of there are a lot of there used to be a lot of unpublished novels. Now that you can self-publish to Amazon and it's not looked down on and it's not as expensive as it once was before digital publishing, you know, there were a lot of unpublished novels. Mm-hmm. Now now you can if you want to write a novel, you know, if you have some other way to make a living, you can write your novel, you can put it out there and maybe it'll connect with uh with some people. Yeah, even right. if no even if no publisher ever wanted it. Um, you could still find an audience. Maybe it won't be huge. Maybe it won't be enough people buying your book for you to live on what your books are bringing in. But it's still a book that some people have read. And maybe someone will say, you know, this is the first thing I read after I had a miscarriage and it really made me feel better. And th- and that's that makes it worth it right there. Yeah, that's the win. All right, Thunder, we have one final question for you. And we okay. call it. I know I talked it, and talked, and you probably uh, had 10 yeah. questions you haven't asked, but no, no actually, you okay. um we only had a couple more, and honestly, you answered them as we were going. So we saw <laughs> no reason to to re-ask. So okay. Uh no, and, and that's fine. Perfectly well done. Uh so here it is. So this is our silly question. You can answer this as legit or as silly as you would like to be, or you can decide to walk that fine line. Okay. I, I need several drafts to walk the fine line. So <laughs> well, we'll see how you do with it. Okay. All right. If you had a time machine, where in the stream of time are you going and why?
Okay, the serious answer. I forget what year it was, 1990, 1993. I would go to Massachusetts and I would tell JFK Jr. not to get in that plane. Okay. Um, I would, I would love to go back to, uh, I don't know. There, there's so many things, I guess if I had a time machine, what I would really want to do is I'd want to go back to the edge of the dinosaurs and just see real live dinosaurs. Mm. That would, that would be the thing that would make me happiest, I guess. Well, um, you don't need a returning power source. I think you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and if I could go forward into the future, uh, I would love to get to this, to, assuming we don't blow ourselves up or destroy the the environment and go extinct, you know, because of that, which seems more likely every day. Mm. Um, but it, it, if we eventually get to that Star Trek future where we can travel faster than light and we can explore the cosmos, that's really what I'd like to do the most. All um, right, fair so enough. I, I I would go forward and I would uh, I would explore. Okay. I like that. So if you did go backward and you got to the age of the dinosaurs, which dinosaur would you be the most excited to see? Do you have a favorite? Yeah, I mean, I I guess I'm just old school as I love the T Rex. See, there's nothing wrong with that. But what? No, it's just is... such an obvious answer. I, I feel is... so plebeian saying. Oh, it's okay yeah. though. He, I, I just struggle favorite. I struggle with the fact that that's such a cool question to ask when you're a kid, but when you're an adult, nobody cares what your favorite dinosaur is anymore. <laughs> and it's really sad. It is. Why don't we ask more people that? I, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to make that a resolution. From now on, when I meet somebody new, I'm going to ask them what their favorite dinosaur is. Then you can show off your cool Parasaurophilus that you just have sitting on your desk. Yes. Because I love them. See? Yes. It's and a fun question. And what about Pachycephalosaurus, who had this giant oh. <laughs> crown of bone that he could smash his head into? Yes. They're so much fun. My daughter's favorite is the Ankylosaurus because she likes their hands. Yes. 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 I like all of them. They're I just mean, fun. I was, a, I was a big dinosaur fan when I was a kid. Um, and, uh, and I like all of them. I like the Ankylosaurus. I like the uh, Stegosaurus. I like um, I like uh, all the uh, uh, Diplodocus and um, yes. the Brachiosaurus. I like all, all of them. And, and the one you just showed up, there were two like that. There's there's that one, and there's one with a different kind of horn, and they thought they stored air in their horns mm -hmm. to allow them to breathe underwater. Yeah, these are the ones that trumpeted to, to communicate with each other. Yeah. But... I yeah I know about I, I remember the and other pteranodons I love I love pteranodons. Tim, do you have a favorite dinosaur? Um, well, I too am boring. I've always thought the T Rex was cool, May and well because of that and Meet the Robinsons, so I could walk around saying <laughs> little, little arms. arms, yeah. But yeah, That's no, awesome. honestly, uh, <laughs> I just love being able to say that. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, okay. T Rex and probably um, uh, I. I always kind of when I was a kid, I liked the Triceratops because they were 
it was a triple rhino and i like i thought rhinos were cool because in my mind they were modern day dinosaurs they you really know? are and and that's how i saw them and so i was like oh well it used to have three horns now it has one horn and from being here it moved down to here you know so it's just in my head that's how i saw that. it but so yeah so i've always thought that t-rexes were cool just because they were just so darn gosh darn violent and everybody was afraid of them mm-hmm. and uh and i always thought that the the triceratops were cool because you know that was like the the in my opinion as a young person and who knew next to nothing about dinosaurs that was like the one thing that could defeat the t-rex because it could get underneath it and hit its underside of its belly and with its horns and i always thought that was cool so those were my two yep so thunder we have enjoyed our conversation so so much with you today can you tell our viewers and our listeners where they can go to find out more about your work and where they can keep an eye on on what you've got coming because you've got more things coming i i have lots of things coming i hope um you know, Twitter just took away my blue check yesterday. Oh, rude. That darn Elon. Um, so, but you can still find me there. I haven't given up on it entirely. So I, it's just at Thunder Levin. And uh, on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Thunder Levin official. Perfect. We will definitely link both of those so that our viewers and our listeners can follow you because you do. You've got more stuff. I, and I would I love know- to have them. And and if any uh, if any uh, writers out there would uh, would like to uh, uh, pick my brain, I am available for consultations on stage32.com. That's my latest thing as I'm working. Oh, perfect. Okay, we'll we'll see how that goes. We'll include that as well. Yeah, definitely. All right, guys, we want to remind you that subscribing is the single most important thing that you can do to help us continue to grow and to get amazing guests like Thunder Levin here today to have this fantastic conversation with. We've really uh, enjoyed it. I think there's a lot of great funny moments for you guys to listen to in this week's episode. So please subscribe. It helps out more than we can ever really tell. And make sure that you check out Thunder's work as well. But as always, if you are not happy with the content of our show today, please feel free to lodge a complaint with the complaint department. And that, of course, is Finn and his chainsaw from Sharknado. Finn is just waiting to fix the wrongs that we make and make them right. He and his chainsaw, his shark-cutting chainsaw, mind you, will be ready to saw your complaints in half and hopefully just be used to scare the daylights out of our bad podcasting skills. So send in three copies of your complaints because those darn chainsaws get a little hungry from time to time. You never know when they're going to go through a complaint form kind of quickly. But rest assured, your complaints will not be overlooked, but they are just one pull of Finn's chainsaw away from being resolved. I'm going to protect myself with my bar stool. They can't get me. I didn't do it this time. Don't pick on my seat. (laughs) Thunder, thank you again for being on our show. This was great. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. All right, guys, that's going to conclude us for the FSF podcast. Goodbye. On behalf of the rest of the hosts of the FSF Popcast, we want to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, please contact us by means of Twitter or Instagram using the handle at FSFPopcast or go to www.fsfpopcast.com and click on the contact me link. Thanks again and hope you enjoyed the episode. Copyright 2023 FSF Popcast. Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned on this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by FSF Popcast. The views expressed by the guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent.
If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at info at fsfpodcast.com. Original music by Jordan Michaels.